Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. just mention uh, thanks to the Urlachers for the flowers on the altar here today. Um, Glenn's dad, Herb, passed away and a funeral was uh, yesterday in Dickinson. Also just uh, encourage you to consider coming tonight. Uh, the Joris are a family we've been supporting for a long time on that mission work in, in uh, Uganda. And uh, I guess I have a unique angle on that. I got to be an overseer for Nate, as he was uh, his, doing a seminary internship, and I just saw this, this strong call on his heart to missions, and, and wrote us as well, and, and it just became so clear to me that God calls ordinary people uh, to extraordinary tasks, uh, and I think you'll be blessed if you're able to come and, and hear of how God's uh, led in their lives uh, in the ministry there. When I ask you uh, today, how would you explain what it means to learn humility? George Washington Carver was a scientist who developed hundreds of uh, useful products from the peanut. And he told this story about himself. He said, when I was young, I said to God, God, tell me the mystery of the universe. But God answered, that knowledge is reserved for me alone. So I said, well, God, tell me the mystery of the peanut. Then God said, well, George, that's more nearly your size. And he told me. Humility comes from a proper understanding of who we are in the grand scheme of things. It's something that we as Christians should ask God to produce in us. But as M.R. Han used to say, humility is something we should constantly pray for, yet never thank God that we have. I went to my dictionary and there found that being humble was defined by what it is not. Not proud, not haughty, not pretentious. And those are true. But being humble is more than that. It's an attitude that we see modeled by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Jesus modeled it by leaving his throne in the highest heavens and coming to this earth as a human baby born in poverty, suffering, serving mankind, and then suffering under human rulers, and then dying a criminal's death, and being buried in a borrowed tomb, all of that for the sake of others. Peter learned about humility from Jesus' example. And he also learned it from some of his own humbling experiences in life. We look today in 1 Peter chapter 5. And uh, there Peter passes on some of what he has learned to fellow believers in Jesus Christ. Focusing especially then, um, as he was writing, to believers who were scattered um, due to persecution. And... uh, who, where they had gone then had formed gatherings, small congregations all over Asia Minor. And, and, and Peter's words, though, to them are so relevant to us today and, and to our congregation as well. And so I invite you to look with me at First uh, Peter 5, beginning with verse 1, and uh, stand please in, in reverence to God's word today. <clears throat> So I exhort the elders among you, 
as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he might exalt you at a proper time, casting all of your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Lord God, we thank you for this, your word, and we pray today that you would teach us concerning humility in our individual lives and in, in our relationships and with, with each other and in our relationship especially with you. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. A couple of interesting quotes here as we begin. First of all, this from William Temple. He says, Humility does not mean thinking less of yourself than of other people, nor does it mean having a low opinion of your own gifts. It means freedom from thinking about yourself at all. And this from uh, Andrew Holmes. He says, It is well to remember that the entire population of the universe, with one trifling exception, is composed of others. Humility is something that comes as we realize our own small place in this world and we see the needs of others all around us and we allow ourselves then to care about them. Peter begins this section of his letter by addressing the leadership of those Christian congregations that were scattered throughout Asia Minor. But his words are so applicable to Christian leadership today as well. <clears throat> and he describes here really then what is needed in all Christian congregations starting with humble leadership. Leadership that is characterized then by other-centeredness. And I, I believe that in order for that to happen, a leader needs to understand who he himself is. And we see some of that here, as I think of Peter here. Uh, we see a leader's self-image. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 1, Peter there knew who he was, and he described himself there as, the, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, that is, as one sent out by Jesus, here now in chapter 5, verse 1, here he says he is a fellow elder. That is, he's one of several of those chosen by Jesus to pastor or shepherd the flock of Christ's church. I notice that he doesn't place himself above any of them, but as one of them here. And Peter further relates who he is here as he describes himself as a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He was one of those who had watched Jesus, the Son of God, go willingly through great suffering at the hands of the religious and political leaders and, and go all the way to the cross. And Peter came to realize that it was because of his own sins that Jesus did so. 
he also saw a glimpse of the glory of Christ um, as he saw Jesus do amazing miracles. And then also especially as he had that opportunity to be up on the Mount of Transfiguration with a couple other disciples. And Peter also had a confidence that one day he would see more fully the glory of Christ in heaven with him. And you know, anybody that would be a leader in the Christian church of today, too, must be one who has a sense of calling from God and who understands that Jesus' sufferings on the cross were to provide forgiveness of our sins and who has a confidence then also about his own or her own eternal destiny because of their faith in, in Jesus Christ. So you look at verse 2 here, I also see a, a leader's commission. I think back to what it tells us in the Gospel of John, chapter 21, where after Jesus' resurrection, Peter was commissioned by Jesus to feed his sheep and lambs, that is, to shepherd the flock of those that were believers in Jesus Christ, to care for them spiritually. Well, here he passes that calling on to other church leaders as well, and he says to them, shepherd the flock of God among you, wherever you are. And those words are important uh, for all Christian church pastors and leaders to hear today as well. In, in any, if any of us are to be leaders in Christ's church, um, it, it's not to be about us and about our agenda, but about Christ and about the spiritual needs uh, of Christ's people. I like this quote from Ben Franklin. He said, To be humble to superiors is duty, to equals is courtesy, and to inferiors is nobleness. Those of us who are called to be leaders in the Christian church are not to think of ourselves as higher than anyone else, but to approach each person under our care with an attitude of humility because we need to recognize that the ground is all level at the foot of the cross, so to speak. We are all sinners that are saved by God's grace, and there is no rank among us. There are different tasks and callings, though. As you look on in verse 2 there, we also see a leader's motivation. <clears throat> and you know, Appointing people to positions of leadership in a congregation isn't to be treated lightly. And so this time of year, uh, we should be praying. Praying for the nominating committee and for those that they ask to consider serving in various roles and, and praying ourselves even as we vote for leadership. And Peter reminds us here in verse 2 that, that leaders should serve not under compulsion or not feeling forced into it, not, not being told... We, we really need you, there's nobody else that will do it, and guilted into it, but rather serving voluntarily and willingly according to the will of God, that is with a sense of calling from above as well as from the congregation. And Peter here is particularly addressing the role of elder and overseer, and he describes that task as exercising oversight. And in our congregation, that responsibility of exercising spiritual oversight and shepherding the flock falls especially on, on the pastors and the deacon board. And, and Peter states that their motivation should not be for sordid or, or shameful gain. That is, that they're not to be in it for the money. We can look around and see some disturbing examples of megachurch celebrity pastors that get extremely wealthy off of their churches. Now, Peter isn't saying here that pastors shouldn't be paid anything, um, but they shouldn't be eager to get rich off of the flocks that they are called to oversee. They ought never to be, that, that ought never to be their motivation for a, being a church leader. Instead, their motivation is to serve the Lord 
with eagerness, a zealousness to serve the Lord Jesus. Look at verse 3 there, and we see also a leadership, or I should say a leader's leadership style. This quote from, John, uh, from Jim Rohn, he said, The challenge of leadership is to be strong, but not rude. Be kind, but not weak. Be bold, but not bully. Be thoughtful, but not lazy. Be humble, but not timid. Be proud, but not arrogant. Have humor, but without folly. Certainly a trick to balance all that, isn't it? Um, and it's something that's really only possible by the grace of God. And Peter points out here in verse 3 that the leadership style of an elder ought to then be not lording it over or domineering, not trying to control everything, but proving to be examples to the flock. And that, that is patterns and in their, in their attitudes and in their lifestyles. And then he uses this word under-shepherds to describe that position. Under the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. They are to be men who recognize themselves that they themselves live their lives and under Christ's higher authority. And then Peter also talks about, in verse 4, a leader's reward. The reward from the chief shepherd when he returns will be an unfading crown of glory. And he uses a similar language there, really, to what we see the Apostle Paul describe in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, where he says everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. You see, in, in those days, in Olympic-style athletic competitions would occur, and instead of awarding gold or silver medals like we're used to seeing, um, they would award winners with a crown or a garland of flowers, which, of course, is quite perishable. Well, the reward for leaders in Christ's church is not to be becoming wealthy here on this earth. It's not to get medals to put on our mantle, but, but rather a reward in heaven that will not fade away. And I have to think that, that um, <clears throat> seeing folks in heaven someday, that we've had an opportunity to have a part in leading to faith in Jesus and getting to spend eternity with them, that will be as great a reward as anything we could imagine. Well, it's not just leaders in the church that are to exhibit humility. It's to start with the leaders, but it's to characterize really the whole Christian congregation. So what does that mean for the rest of the congregation? Well, as you look at verse 5 here, <clears throat> he talks about being humble servants that are in subjection to their leadership. And really, remember what we've covered in the last weeks here, this is just focusing that same theme. Uh, citizens are to live in submission to government, servants to their masters, wives to their husbands, all for the sake of order. And here now then, for the sake of order in the congregation, Peter says, you who are younger, be subject to your elders, that is, put yourself under authority of them. And then he goes on to speak to the whole congregation, and he says to all of them, put on servant clothes. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Now, are there any of you here today who have no idea what you put on to wear today? Um, I, I kind of doubt it. I, I don't see any pajamas out there, so you all apparently know how to dress yourselves. Um, most of you made a deliberate effort to put on some clothes today, and you're quite aware of what you have on. Um, I don't think you walked into the restroom and, and looked in the mirror and go, oh, is that what I'm wearing? Um, 
Well, Peter says to us believers in Jesus Christ here, we are to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. And this involves then a deliberate effort, deliberate putting on of an attitude, an, an attitude of being other-centered instead of self-centered. <coughs> Peter had learned that attitude from Jesus. Remember how Jesus, uh, that last supper with the disciples, had girded himself with a towel and washed his disciples' feet. And now Peter is saying to all of us, wear humility, like a slave's apron, so to speak, and look for ways to serve each other. I find it interesting going to church gatherings, whether it's here or someplace else, and looking around and noticing there are people who are willing to wash the dishes or to vacuum or mop the floor or take out the trash. And I look around and notice those things not because I'm glad I don't have to do it that time, but because, you see, I see a servant there, a servant attitude. That's an example of putting on servant clothes to serve each other. Verse 5 also talks about a servant's source of grace. Well, where does that servant attitude come from? from the example of Christ himself and also then from Christ living within us. Tells us here God is opposed to the proud but he gives grace to the humble. As we are recipients of God's amazing grace in Christ, we want to pass that grace on to others and that starts then with humble servant attitudes. And we talked then about humble leadership and humble servants in the congregation. You see it all starts with humble hearts. Look at verse 6 and 7 here. And we see hearts that humble themselves before God in confession of their own sinfulness and unworthiness and that trust in Jesus for forgiveness and cleansing. Hearts that approach God in prayer, recognizing him as the almighty God that is able to help us and also as the loving God who cares to help us. Verses 6 and 7, I'd say, are some of my favorite verses in this whole book of 1 Peter. It just tells us there, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all of your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And there we have a picture then of, of hearts that are humble before a mighty God. And what a great thing it is to know that God is almighty. There, there is no limit to what he can do but also then to know that, that he cares. I, I found as I was looking over this uh, text here, a, a more literal rendering of verse 7 would go something like this. All of the anxiety of you casting on him, because to him it matters concerning you. Because to him it matters concerning to you. You, you matter to God. He, he cares about you. And so because of that, then Peter invites you, cast the anxieties of your heart on him, whatever it is you're feeling anxious about today, bring it to him in prayer. Humble hearts believe this promise of God's word that he does care about what we're anxious about. And so even when we've prayed about it over and over and we haven't seen answers to those prayers, we continue to bring those anxieties to him. And as we do that, as we live our lives here, we also are aware of something else. And that is that we have an enemy of our souls. And we are called to humble resistance of him. The devil is our real adversary. And 
if we're humble, we'll admit that he is, he is stronger than we are. And he is like this prowling lion, roaring, seeking someone to devour. He's out to destroy us, to destroy Christ and his church. He's out to pit Christians against each other and, and to hinder them, their joint witness to the world. He's out to snare individual Christians into sin that, that brings them down. And so what are we to do in light of this formidable foe? We're to resist him how? Firm in our faith. Firm in our faith in Jesus and his word. Believing that what God's word says instead of what we hear from the world around us. And believing that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So one more section here in, in chapter 5. As you look at verses 9 to 11, we see humble suffering, but with this eternal perspective. Resist him firm in your faith, it says. Knowing what? Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. What is Peter telling Christians encountering suffering there? If you're suffering because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you're not the only one. That same experience of suffering, things like that are being accomplished by your brethren all over the world. And I'd have to say that for us in the United States today, very likely there are many in other parts of the world that are going through far worse persecution for their faith than any of us are. But our time might come. And so we're to keep in mind, as we go through suffering in this life, that it is for a short time. After you have suffered for a little while, he says in verse 10 here, or as Paul says in, in Romans 8, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Or as the hymn writer says, it'll be worth it all when we see Christ. And, and so until then, we press on, trusting that, that God is at work in our hearts and lives and that, that he will continue to, to be at work there and, and to help us that we would be perfected, that he would confirm our faith and strengthen us and establish us until our time comes in eternity. He's the Lord, and he has dominion over all things. So as we think of summing this up here today, we've been reminded that the Church of Jesus Christ needs humble leadership and also some, um, some humble servants who have humble hearts and who practice humble resistance against the devil and his tricks, and that Christ calls us then together to humbly expect to encounter some suffering as we seek to understand it from an eternal perspective. We have an opportunity in just a bit to come forward for communion. And with that, it's an opportunity then to humble ourselves before our God in confession of our sins and recognition of our need for his help and his strength as we encounter the trials and temptations of this life. We're also to come to communion with, with humble attitudes toward each other. Not looking down on anyone else. Not holding any grudges against anyone. But recognizing that we're all sinners saved by grace and mercy of God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, help us. Uh, we, we pray that you'd help us to be humble. That we'd, you'd help us to be other-centered. That you'd help us to care for each other. You'd help us to recognize as we come to you 
our need for forgiveness of sin and strength to press on. And so, Lord, we pray for your encouragement to each one, even as we gather today and partake of communion, strengthen our faith and uh, help us as we go through the trials of life. And, Lord, help us that we would together be a witness of the difference that you make. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.